0: Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say,
1: Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? (laughs) Dear God, she's going to kill us all.
2: Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair,
0: And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the
2: trivia, and the
0: fun of WKRP.
2: So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast.
0: I'm at
1: WKRP
0: in Cincinnati. Welcome back to the WKRP cast. Super excited to get started with season 2 and a lot has changed. Donna, what is our episode?
2: We're talking about for Love or Money part 1. The air date was the 17th of September 1979, written by Hugh Wilson and Mary Maguire.
0: And Mary was a production secretary throughout season 1. She wrote these two episodes, and that seems to have been it for her, both with WKRP and with writing, but we're glad she got in on these two. The
2: story editors, they're all new names, and we'll talk about them shortly. Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and Peter P.J. Tarakvi, executive story consultant, Blake
0: Hunter. And we know that name. Blake was promoted from story editor, but still involved with the writing.
2: Also out of the writer's room, but back on the show, Bill Dial is now credited as a producer. And it's directed by Will McKenzie.
0: And we know that name.
2: (laughs) Bailey finally has the nerve to ask Johnny out on a date. Their date may end up taking a back seat in Johnny's life when he receives a telephone call from a past love, Buffy. Johnny ends up with two dates, which leads to some misunderstandings among staff at the station. The title seems to be a reference to a 1963 Kirk Douglas Mitzi Gaynor romantic comedy called For love or money.
0: And here's a random note. This is the third set of episodes we run into called part one and part two. The pilot was listed as two parts. And at the end of Goodbye, Johnny, we got a to-be-continued, which means Johnny Comes Back was technically part two of that pair, but those two really could be standalone episodes. This is the first two-parter where we really get a continuing story over two full episodes.
1: In the summertime, when the weather is high, you can stretch right up and touch the sky. When the weather's fine, you got women, you got women on your mind.
2: Before we get into the episode, we need to talk about the changes that happened over the summer of 1979. A lot is different. This is the first episode of season two, airing in mid-September. Back in May, it looked like CBS was actively trying to kill the series.
0: WKRP was pulled from the Monday night lineup for two weeks back in May, a sweeps month. That's not a great sign your series is coming back. Although WKRP showed signs of life behind MASH, there was a lot of negative feeling about the show. After the hiatus and early in 1979, it would be referred to as struggling in the press.
2: The cast left the set in March. The last episode of season one was shot March 8th of 1979. By the end of May, the show had been announced in the fall lineup. Getting the announcement was a good sign, but not a guarantee. The cast really didn't think they were coming back. No one had renegotiated their contracts, and even Hugh Wilson was out shopping a movie script. He did sell it to Universal, but it never got produced. By May of 79, it sounded like cast members were starting to move on. So what happened that summer of 79?
0: Well, Michael Hernandez, the accountant of rock, and L.A. Jamie Schmidt went on a search for us. They tracked down reporting from that spring and summer. We wanted to know what was happening with the cast.
2: Also, what was happening with the show? CBS announced their fall lineup in early May. WKRP was on the schedule, still listed on Monday nights after MASH. Getting the nod was promising, but everybody knew those early programming announcements were often subject to change. If it did make it to the fall... WKRP would be the only series that had debuted in the fall of 78 to be picked up for a second season.
0: The of Rocks episode spreadsheet shows a run of very highly rated repeats during the summer. Starting June 11 through September 10th, WKRP aired 13 times in reruns after MASH. Seven of those airings finished either first or second for the week. The summertime audience had found WKRP, and they made it a number one hit.
2: Over the summer, the cast was scattered, and there were indications they were moving on. In late June, it was announced that Lonnie Anderson was developing her own show with MTM. She was also in consideration for the lead in the TV movie, the Jane Mansfield story, with CBS TV. She would make the movie the next year with Arnold Schwarzenegger playing her husband, Mickey Hargitay, but the series never materialized.
0: Howard Hessman, always the working actor, stayed busy over the summer. He appeared in a TV movie called You Can't Take It With You and the really bad feature film, america with Harvey Corman and John Ritter. He also made an uncredited appearance in Steve Martin's feature film, The Jerk, as a carnival roustabout. In The Jerk, he got to improv with four other former members of the committee. He said he took the job just to work with them again.
2: The cast returned to set for season two at the end of July. It seemed unexpected. Every cast member, except Lonnie Anderson, had to renegotiate their contract right before shooting could begin. The only reason Lonnie didn't is because she already had her development deal with MTM, which had her under a continuing contract.
0: Because of the big flack about the Gordon Sims episode, everything got moved that summer. The production moved from KTLA and the Golden West Studios over to the Mary Tyler Moore Studios at CBS Radford. The set was rebuilt and updated with a few minor changes that we're going to point out this episode. We
2: have a new writer's room. We need to meet our new writers for season two. First off,
0: Dan Gunselman.
2: This is Dan Gunselman's first writing job. He will go on to be a writer, director, and producer for WKRP. Also in 1983, Dan will marry WKRP production secretary Lisa Levin. Lisa is promoted to story editor midway through season two and eventually gets her own WKRP writing credits. Dan and Lisa are still together, and they have two kids.
0: Steve Marshall! Steve came from Los Angeles Radio, where he most recently worked as a program director for KNXFM. He wrote a spec script for WKRP and turned it into a story editor gig. L.A. Jamie Schmidt found the one-paragraph notice that ran in the L.A. Times in late June of 1979 announcing that Marshall was leaving as PD of KNX to go write for WKRP.
2: Gunselman will later team up with Marshall, and the two will executive produce Growing Pains for six seasons, then go on to create the Growing Pains spinoff, Just the 10 of us.
0: Peter P.J. Tarokby. P.J. is a fascinating and groundbreaking individual. Born Peter in 1951 in Canada, P.J. was a trans woman. P.J. did not undergo sex reassignment surgery until 2001. At that time, her physical sexual characteristics were changed to match her gender identification. Now, most of P.J.'s professional credits are listed as Peter. P.J. wrote and performed for SCTV in Canada and would write for several TV series and movies throughout the 1980s.
2: Stephen Kempman! Stephen is a writer, producer, director, and actor. He's best known on screen as Kirk Devane from the first season of New Heart in 1982. Kempman's only writing credit prior to WKRP was was with SCTV.
0: Campman and Tarakfi met each other in 1977 as part of the Toronto branch of SCTV. The two of them, along with a fellow by the name of Martin Short, made a comedy film called The Cisco Kid. They wrote and dubbed new dialogue over footage from old westerns. Hello. In an earlier era of television, 156 episodes of this well-known and beloved western were made. 155 were aired. One was not. Because of its tasteless, rude, and meaningless content, it was censored. Tonight, Laugh Track presents that never before seen episode of The Cisco Kid. Why are we riding so fast, Cisco? Because we are illegal aliens, but you're- The Cisco Kid is the reason Hugh Wilson hired Campman and Tarakfi for his season two writer's room. Da, 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 de, da, de, da.
2: We're picked up for a second season. We've got new faces in the writer's room. The whole on-screen gang is back. And now we're ready to head to the studio for the start of season two. It's a new studio.
0: Okay, it's subtle, but we're in a new space. The wall to the right of the studio door has been extended. That turntables are new. Those old oversized Harris turntables with the 18-inch platters are gone. These new ones are more modern. They're sleeker looking. They're 12-inch platters. They look a little more flush to the table. They also look like direct drive. The
2: poster on the studio door covering half of the Cincinnati map is a promo for Randy Newman's Born Again album.
0: The album cover is a picture of Randy sitting at a desk in face paint with dollar signs on it. It's an obvious shot at Kiss and the commercialization of rock music.
2: The album was poorly reviewed and didn't sell well possibly the most interesting thing about it is the participation of Stephen Bishop as a credited backup singer Bishop had already launched a respectable solo career he'd just had a number 11 hit with the single on and on on and on on and on, on, and on. And he did the Animal House soundtrack in 1978. To
0: the right of the Randy Newman poster is a Robert Palmer poster promoting the Secrets album. It's the one that looks like a line drawing.
2: We see Bailey through the window as she enters the studio drinking what appears to be a soft drink from a to-go cup with a straw.
0: She stands for a bit looking around. The studio looks empty. Now, if you're watching along on the Shout Factory disk you're hearing a very weird, not very good song, the most notable lyric being about a six-pack of love. <laughs> some quality <laughs> tunage right there. That's class. Yeah.
2: And since they replaced the music, they also had to replace the voices. That's not Chan Smithers saying Johnny, and it's definitely not Howard Hessman we hear while Johnny is jumping up off the floor.
0: If you tuned in the season two premiere in September of 79, you'd have heard this.
1: Doctor, doctor, gimme the news I got.
0: Robert Palmer going out over the air, but Shout Factory couldn't get this one relicensed.
2: Bad Case of Loving You, Doctor, Doctor. It's a 1978 song written and originally recorded by John David Moon Martin.
0: The song appeared on Robert Palmer's brand new 1979 album Secrets, which we just saw the poster for on the back wall. Robert Palmer's record people obviously went for maximum promotion with WKRP.
2: (laughs) Palmer's version reached number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100.
0: Bailey calls out Johnny's name and he pops up from under the turntable counter. And we were kind of talking about this. She can obviously see him down there, but I think he's asleep and she's a little hesitant to wake him up.
2: And when he pops up, we notice that Johnny got a haircut
0: looking sleeker. Looking, looking sharp. The doctor is, is trimmed and, and looking proper.
2: Johnny takes a seat in the DJ chair and begins putting an album on one of the turntables. And he asks Bailey what she thinks of Ted Nugent. I think his music is loud and repetitive. And I think his stage manner is pretentious, rude, and obnoxious. Johnny takes the album that he was getting ready to cue, and he tosses it back behind him where it lands on the floor.
0: Which made me really cringe. You don't do that to records. (laughs) The Ted Nugent album Johnny Threw is State of Shock, which was released in May of seventy-nine. This was Ted's fifth studio album. It peaked at number eighteen on the album charts, but it only had one single, I want to tell you, and it
2: didn't chart. If I Want to Tell You sounds familiar. You're right. It's the same one written by George Harrison that appears on the Beatles album, Rubber Soul.
0: Here's the fab four. One,
2: two, ten.
0: City Madman's take on
1: it.
0: The Ted Nugent song, Paralyzed, became the best-known song from State of Shock when Ted played it on the ABC TV show Friday.
1: I'm on a mission of mercy. I got to testify. You lost your emotions. You're past-
0: only song from this album that appeared on his best of collection, Great Gonzos, from a year later.
2: Bailey picks up the album, and she puts it back into the album cover, and then you can see her working up the courage to ask Johnny this question. I was wondering if... um, What? Well, I I have tickets to a Bogart
1: movie tonight over at the university, and I was... (laughs) Wondering if maybe you'd like to go. During this
0: exchange, Johnny grabs an album that had been leaning up against the back wall of the studio. The top edge of it is very visible over the end of the turntable console. The name is very clearly Jesse Winchester. This is his 1972 album, Third Down and 110 to Go, which is a reference to Canadian football.
1: By the moon's the mirror of the sun. She's got it trained on you. And the sun says God, so be careful what you do.
2: Fool Moon, Big Moon. Fool Moon, Big Moon. We're very sure that Howard Hessman planted this album cover as a shout out to Jesse. Winchester was born in Louisiana, but moved to Canada in 1967 as a Vietnam War protester. He never had a hit of his own, but his songs were recorded by everybody. Patty Page,
0: Willie Nelson,
2: Jerry Garcia,
0: George Strait, Jimmy
2: Buffett, and Emmylou Harris. Those are just a few of the big names who have recorded Winchester's songs. Johnny's not quite
0: getting it that he has just been... Asked out on a date? Sure. Uh, who else is going? Now Bailey says it's just the. Two of them heading to this Bogart flick. And Johnny says that he will pick her up about eight there at the station. And as he says this, he takes that glass from Bailey's hand and starts sipping it. You get a sound of him slurping the last few drops from the cup, but it really looked like that cup was empty from the moment she walked in, the way she was handling it.
2: So he hands the now empty cup back to Bailey as she hands him the Ted Nugent album. Here, Les enters the studio. As Bailey is leaving.
0: And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman.
2: Top left side of head.
0: This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb Award-winning journalist, Les Nesman. You remember in uh, Young Master Carlson's Sparky Marcus Isolio told us that he gave uh, Richard Sanders the ear idea. Well, now he seems to adopt to that. He likes the face, and it does get a lot of play. You really see this when it's right up there in his hairline, right up on the high on the forehead.
2: The hairline, which is kind of far back. The receding
0: hairline. <laughs> but yeah, when you get in on a close-up of his face, you really see it. Les kind of gives Johnny the stink eye as Bailey's leaving the studio.
1: I get mine on the outside. Get your what?
0: less gestures to the blinking red light on the control panel let johnny know he's getting a phone call johnny grabs it and he's excited to hear an old acquaintance who seems to be named
1: buffy laurel canyon buffy (laughs) no kidding around buffy
0: johnny starts making plans with her for the evening oh man johnny you just made plans with bailey He's obviously forgotten about those plans. As he talks to Buffy, he's walking around behind Les, and he wraps the phone cord around Les's neck.
1: Listen, I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Bye. So he hangs up in a really happy mood, musses up, bless his hair, and heads out to the studio door.
2: Laurel Canyon is a Los Angeles-area neighborhood located just north of West Hollywood. It was a hotbed of the counterculture movement and music in the late 60s and early 70s. So when he
0: said Laurel Canyon Buffy, that's where he must have been hanging out with her. Laurel Canyon attracted some of the most talented and famous musicians of the era, People who lived in Laurel Canyon at the time included... James Taylor. Jim Morrison. Frank
2: Zappa. Joni Mitchell. Cass Elliott. Members of the Eagles. Linda Ronstadt. Jackson Brown. And an unbelievable list of many more.
0: So let's sits down at the mic with this startling announcement. In Philadelphia, thousands frightened. And we're into our opening.
2: WKRP in Cincinnati. A new open. It's season two, so let's change everything. Hey,
0: we changed our opening just in honor of the new season two show opening. We've still only got two folks who have name credit in the opening, the same as in season one, Gary Sandy and Gordon Jump. But instead of just their names, they now get moving video and then a picture freeze with their name under it. We also have scenes from Season 1 with the rest of the cast now visible in
2: the opening. Jennifer with Johnny sneaking up from behind her in the lobby from Pilot Part 2.
0: Venus jumping over the table to attack Herb from Young Master Carlson. This one includes Venus, Andy, Bailey, Herb, and Les all in the one shot. We
2: see Herb and Les in their shoving match from young Master Carlson with Bailey in between.
0: We get a shot of Les putting on his wig too hot-blooded from a date with Jennifer. Art
2: beats on his foot with his shoe from Johnny Comes Back. This also includes Andy. I got a monkey on my foot. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And Johnny going crazy in the booth when he is back on the air at the end of Johnny Comes Back.
2: And for the final, we've got a long zoom of Cincy instead of the closer shot next to the bridge.
0: We come back from the theme into the bullpen. Johnny sitting at the DJ's desk and kind of shooting the bull with Andy, who is in the desk chair. Johnny's excitedly telling Andy about his phone call with Buffy.
1: We were together in L.A., see, and those were... Fine day. It was right after my first divorce, see? Well, Buffy was a little weird. We just kinda went with that.
0: (laughs) And he wishes him luck on his date coming up tonight. Johnny's still totally forgetting about Bailey.
2: Herb enters as Johnny says that his plan is to take her to his place. And
0: oh my goodness, it's time! Herb Darling, fashion alert.
2: We he see Herb wearing a light blue dress shirt. This blue, is insane. Blue, pink, and white, and green paisley tie. White belt. And the, the socks, when he crosses his, his feet up on the desk, look like a, what do we decide? A Stone ground, ground mustard. Stone ground mustard color. Almost
0: a flesh color, but a little more of a stone ground mustard yes. color.
2: And, of course, his white shoes. Now, the suit he's wearing... It's, is a matching jacket and pants. It's out of control. It's
0: yellow and
2: blue. It's kind of cream and colored with yellow and blue and darker yellow.
0: Highlights all I don't through know. it. But Plaid. man. Plaid. Definitely have never seen this one. They have stocked <laughs> up Herb's wardrobe for season two, I do believe.
2: And because it's so light, it's that light cream color. When he walks in, it's like, thing. Oh, Herb's here.
0: Yeah, it slaps you across <laughs> the face. It is sharp and bracing.
2: Well, Herb picks up on the conversation. The
1: guy's talking about a broad, right?
0: A broad? <laughs> Doll, chick, skirt, bimbo. Apparently Herb is in a James Cagney movie. <laughs> She's a scared, a bimbo, see? A broad.
2: Herb tells Johnny not to take her to his place. Why not?
1: Why not? Number one, the joints are dumb. No offense.
2: Sure. No offense. No offense, but your place is a dump.
0: (laughs) Okay, so Andy is sarcastically telling Johnny about Herb's qualifications when it comes to women. He's even
1: written some letters to Penthouse. (laughs) A couple. It's a few.
2: Andy and Herb are referencing the Penthouse Forum. Forum was actually its own standalone magazine started in 1968. In the 1970s, the Penthouse Forum was one of the largest selling magazines in the U.S.
0: The letters that were supposed to have been submitted by readers to the Forum magazine were steamy. Yeah, so steamy (laughs) they spun off their own magazine, just the Penthouse Letters had a magazine, and select letters were featured as a regular monthly section in the flagship Penthouse Men's Magazine. Some of the most outrageous letters are thought to have been written by paid staff writers and are not real reader submissions, although Herb's would fall right in there with most of them.
2: (laughs) In the 1984 movie Splash, John Candy's character is quite proud of the fact he got a letter published in Penthouse.
0: Herb confirms he's submitted letters but explains they weren't published because... I don't think they
1: sounded realistic enough a bunch of teenage girls on roller skates attacked me one day and had their way with me. <laughs>
2: Now you're just looking at Herb
0: with their mouths <laughs> hanging open.
2: I think that was a dream Herb yeah, had. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if you look down the hallway, just as Jennifer enters, you can see a Foghat poster from the Stone Blue album. This was Foghat's seventh studio album from May of 1978. And it seems kind
0: of tucked in there, but when they start giving us close-ups of Johnny, it's like the word Foghat is sitting on his head. So Andy asks Herb to give them his professional advice on women, Herb is more than happy to oblige.
1: First, you get yourself a plan. Now, what's the one thing that all plans just scream out for?
2: Jennifer walks into the bullpen. Herb is not able to concentrate on what he's saying. <laughs> he stops talking, and he doesn't even look at Jennifer, but he closes his eyes and he breathes in the air as if he can smell her scent. He's transported. He, he, yes, it's like he's in another world. And then as soon as Jennifer drops some mail on a desk and walks out...
1: An objective. That's the one thing that all plans have to have. An objective. And when it comes to dating, we all know what that is.
0: And I believe this supports my theory that Jennifer smells good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Johnny and Andy are guessing at Herb's objectives. Friendship's a uh, pleasant evening. <laughs> hey, if you guys are going to kid
1: around with me, it's <laughs> a
2: wait, <no. laughs>
0: Herb only has one objective, always.:
2: Landy well, and Johnny, they apologize and they, OK, and they ask herb to continue. He actually sounds like he knows what he's talking about.:
1: The important thing is, not just letting a woman know that you want her, but letting her know that she can have you, in a very non-threatening. Totally natural, loving way.
0: This is striking what Herb is saying. It doesn't seem like Herb. Johnny takes off his glasses so he can see her better during this tutorial. And he has this amazed look on his face like, Who are you? And what have you done with Herb? <laughs> but he's drawn him in with this spell. They are both eager to hear more. Uh, uh, what else? Yeah, what then? <laughs> Now you guys know. Yeah, Tell us. You get her drunk, stupid. Herbs, back. Oh, of course. <laughs> there's, there's a point where all that flowery stuff you gotta just get down to business. Drink.
2: <laughs> Venus enters wearing an outfit that is like a cross between a kimono and a karate jacket and he's got it tied with a sash. Johnny goes up to him calling him my man and Venus tells him the answer is no. Johnny tells him it's not about money. Yeah, it's always money man.
1: <laughs> oh man you really think you got me pinned. How much?
0: $20. Venus and Andy are headed to lunch and they kind of take off. Johnny starts to follow them through the door and actually they hit him in the face with the door as they're leaving.
1: Herbert. Give me $20 so I can take this girl to a nice place. You'd have to kill me first.
2: (laughs) Les enters as Johnny is about to strangle Herb. Les is looking at his tear sheets, and he's struggling over some pronunciation of words.
1: Here, say this. Ayatollah Khomeini. Uh, how about along? Where do they get these ridiculous names?
2: (laughs) The
0: Ayatollah Khomeini was the Osama bin Laden of the 70s and 80s.
2: Khomeini was born in 1902 and he died in 1989. He became the supreme religious leader of the Islamic Republic of Iran in 1979, following many years of resistance.
0: I remember in junior high thinking that his first name was Ayatollah. I was not alone. A lot of people thought that. But actually, Ayatollah is an honorific title for clergy in Iran. It is derived from Arabic, meaning reflection of God.
2: Khomeini worked to remove the Shah from power because of his associations with the West. The West was evil, and Khomeini said the Shah was being corrupted by it.
0: Upon the success of the revolution, the Ayatollah Khomeini was named religious and political leader of Iran. For life, the
2: U.S. reluctantly allowed the Shah to enter the country to serve out his exile.
0: In protest, a group of Iranians seized more than 60 American hostages at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran on November 4th, 1979. This is what would become the Iranian hostage crisis. Khomeini saw this as a chance to demonstrate the new Iranian defiance of Western influence.
2: The hostages were held for 444 days from November 4th, 1979 to January 20th, Nineteen eighty one. Jimmy Carter was
0: president when the hostages were taken and they were released minutes after President Reagan's inaugural speech. I remember watching that day. They actually did it in split screen.
2: One of the most lasting things to come out of the hostage crisis was the ABC news program Nightline. Nightline debuted four days after the start of the hostage crisis. ABC News president Rune Arledge decided a nightly update on the hostages would be the best way to beat Johnny Carson in the ratings. It was initially hosted by Frank Reynolds and later taken over by Ted Koppel, who would host it for 25 years.
0: This is ABC News Nightline, reporting from Washington.
1: Ted Koppel. Good evening. This is a new broadcast in the sense that it is permanent and will continue after the Iran crisis is over. There will also be nights when Iran is not the major story. When we will bring you briefly up to date on Iran, but we'll focus on some other story.
0: Nightline is still on the air. TV Guide listed it as the 23rd greatest television program of all time.
2: Johnny explains to Les. Kind I got it. Big night plan. Les, remembering the interaction that he saw between Johnny and Bailey in the studio earlier, is not all that eager to lend him money. Yes,
1: I know you do, and I'm vaguely repulsed. Johnny pushes
0: Les for a loan, Les agrees and pulls out his zippered billfold. <laughs> <laughs> he very, with much ceremony, unzips and pulls out a five-dollar bill.
2: Five whole dollars. <laughs> I remember guys having those billfolds, those zipper billfold. I knew a couple of guys that had those.
0: I had one once and got rid of it very quickly because that is way too much work anytime you need a a bill (laughs) to get into that thing it takes
2: forever we go to the lobby where bailey is explaining to jennifer how easy it was and how cool she was jennifer asks what she did i asked a man for a date when Jennifer asks if it's someone from around here, Bailey says, Maybe something
0: that we noticed, and I wanted to point out here in season one, Bailey used to wear a lot of big, oversized dresses and kind of they chunky made her look frumpy, frumpy, very frumpy. Now we're getting tight, form fitting jeans. I think somebody over the summer said. Uh, We really ought to use that Jan Smithers a little more effectively here. So, uh, the opening of this shot, there's Jan's butt right in the middle of the screen. (laughs) And then she turns around.
2: And this is also another nipplegate. Yes,
0: we have a significant nipplegate situation with Lonnie Mm -hmm. in this scene as well. I believe that this has all been choreographed by CBS or Mary Tyler Moore. I don't think any of this is happening accidentally.
2: Bailey then seems to need confirmation from Jennifer that it was okay, you know, her asking a guy out. There's absolutely no reason why a woman shouldn't ask a man out if she likes him we don't
0: get a lot of art in this episode we just get a couple of these goofy little scenes with art coming out of his office and he's holding a fishing rod jennifer have you seen my naked neighbor on a bobber (laughs) he does the bit gets the laugh and goes back into his office now you though Looked for a naked nabe runabobber.
2: Yes, I did. I researched a naked nabe runabobber and I tried to find something, but I got quite the education instead. Did you know that naked fishing is really a thing? I
0: did not. Then
2: how about naked ice fishing? No, yep.
0: no, not a good idea.
2: Then there is naked fishing where each time a person catches a fish, everyone has to remove an article of clothing.
0: Strip fishing.
2: And you better bring your best of bobbers for that game, huh? Jennifer asks Bailey. What made you do it? Oh, I don't know. i wanted to for such a long time. Bailey continues, telling Jennifer that it would have been silly to wait for him to ask her because he's shy.
0: Bailey's still not giving anything away. Jennifer wants to know who.
2: Oh, I can't say. (laughs) Johnny enters the lobby and Bailey gets all giddy acting, saying hi several times. And then she leaves the lobby, heading toward the bullpen.
0: Johnny then asks Jennifer what she would do if some guy asked her for a small loan.
2: Well, first I'd laugh
1: in his face with a sort of slight sneer.
0: And Jennifer's sneer. I
1: love that sneer.
0: The sneer is worth it if you haven't checked the episode Check the episode. The sneer is great.
2: Carlson comes back out of his office with another question for Jennifer. He still has his fishing rod, and as he's standing next to Jennifer, she eyes the end of it. It's quivering. How about my seductive silver troller? Jennifer tells him that she's not seen it.
0: You looked that one up too, didn't you? find anything on the seductive
2: silver troller? I'd rather not discuss it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Johnny decides to get brave here. He turns to Art and says, Uh, you could give me $50. (laughs) Don't
1: hang around out here, okay?
0: Doesn't look good. Carlson goes back into his office. I love that. Don't hang around out here. Doesn't look good.
2: Well, now Johnny opens up to Jennifer. He's telling her that there's someone he wants to take out tonight and impress. For $50, it can't be done. (laughs) Can't be done. Not for 50 bucks. Not for 50 bucks. Not even back then.
0: And Johnny was trying to get 20 out of Venus.
2: Well, the look on Jennifer's face, it's as if she can't believe Johnny even thought it was possible to impress a girl on $50.
0: But Jennifer's starting to put two and two together, and she's thinking that Johnny is talking about Bailey. So she starts questioning Johnny about the person he's wanting to impress.
1: Is it someone I know?
0: No.
2: Someone who... Works
1: here?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> you will die. So you think Jennifer has it figured um, out?
0: Yeah, I, I think she's she's thinking think it's she's got Bailey. An idea. Yeah. Johnny has completely forgotten he's got a date with Bailey. He's all buffy eyes right now.
2: Jennifer tells Johnny that she's gonna go to Washington, DC for dinner. DC the admiral misses his pals, and he wants to try his new jet.
0: Which interested me because I wanted to know how far Cincinnati was from D.C. If you were to hop in the car, you're uh, just about eight hours.
2: Well, since Jennifer's flying, that'd probably be yeah, less than, than an hour.
0: Yeah, an hour or so getting there. You want
2: to take this lady to my apartment? I don't mind.
0: Johnny says he couldn't do that, but Jennifer says it's no problem, and I think she thinks she's providing a nice night for Johnny and Bailey. There's
2: champagne on ice, and I'll get Raul to whip something up and leave it in the oven. She hands Johnny an extra set of keys to her apartment.
1: Is there anything I could ever do to repay you for this? No.
2: (laughs) Now we're at Jennifer's apartment for this scene. Well,
0: but we're making a transition to Jennifer's apartment, which is a little disturbing. We start with the same exterior shot that we had in I Do, I Do for now. If you're watching along on the Shout Factory disc... Just put this little section on mute, okay? Because in the original episode, Venus has a talk piece here. He does a talk bit over Herb Alpert's Rise. Now, that's great when it's Venus, when it's actually Tim Reed doing the voice. Here's the problem. Shout Factory was not able to license Rise.
2: Not having the music means that they lost the entire transition, both voice and music, Instead of just sticking in a Tom Wells transition or using some generic bit of music on its own, Shout Factory decided it was necessary to recreate the whole thing with somebody else doing Venus's talk bit. Unfortunately, this is what's on the Shout Factory disc.
1: The sun is down, my children. This is Venus on the rise, high in the sky over Cincinnati on
0: WKRP. If you'd been watching in 1979, this is what you'd have heard. The sun is down, my children, and this is Venus
1: on the rise, high in the sky over Cincinnati on WKRP.
0: That's really Tim Reed talking over Rise by Herb Alpert, and we got that clip... From the Big D, Dale Kovar's set of recreated discs.
2: Rise by Herb Alpert is on the 1979 album of the same name.
0: It was Alpert's first number one hit in the U.S.
2: since This Guy's in Love With You in 1968. The 12-inch version was a favorite of club DJs.
0: The Rise album sold more than 3 million copies. Did you
2: know I saw Herb Alpert in the Tijuana Brass live?
0: I think I did know that. And it was your mom and dad were fans, right? Yes, they were big mom Albert, and dad Herb took Albert my fans.
2: sisters and I to see him. We were rocking. By hearing keys jangling and the door to Jennifer's apartment being jiggled by someone having trouble unlocking it. Finally, the door bursts open and Johnny and Buffy enter. And <laughs> we immediately get the feel of Buffy's character.
1: I'm just disappointed in us all that we even need locks in the first place.
0: She's a hemp skirt wearing granola crunching Earth Mama, I do believe. That is Buffy Denver being played. ...by Julie Payne.
2: Payne was born in 1946 in Sweet Home, Oregon. We
0: have not been able to use this sounder in a while. The Committee Connection. Buffy was a member of the influential improv troupe The Committee from 1967 until 74. And she did work in The Committee with Howard Hessman.
2: Payne had bit parts in The Strawberry Statement... And The Candidate, as well as on The Flip Wilson Show...
0: The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson... The
2: Midnight Special... The
0: Streets of San Francisco...
2: And others.
0: She was heard in animated segments on The Tracy Ullman Show, Garfield and Friends, and The Garfield Show.
2: Between 2000 and 2005, Payne appeared in a recurring role as Larry David's acerbic mother-in-law on Curb Your Enthusiasm...
0: Johnny and Buffy are both wearing sunglasses at night as they walk into a dark apartment. Johnny drops the keys and then has trouble finding the light switch. It's pretty obvious this is not his place. He finally finds it and Buffy takes in the apartment, which has a very definite feminine air to it. Buffy grabs Johnny, hugs him, begins to reminisce.
1: Thinking about you and
0: me and how
1: I used to think we should... And one sudden burst of passion commits
2: suicide.
0: Yeah, Buffy's a little weird.
2: (laughs) Well, Johnny tells her that was a long time ago. Not so many years ago. Don't you remember how we used to walk along
1: the beach so late at night and, and realize that the ultimate intertwining of one soul with another could only take place in death. How about a snack?
0: <laughs> Buffy is curious what's he got for a snack and he says I don't
1: know, uh, Raul was supposed to leave something in the oven. Check. Who's Raul? i will be damned if I know. <laughs> in your oven? No. I mean, I know Raul, of course.
0: Isn't Raul Hugh Wilson? This has to be a callback to his Fish Story pen name, Raul Plager. Also, random catch in America's favorite radio station, we found a reference to Hugh Wilson meeting Howard Hessman on the set of the Bob Newhart show long before WKRP. Howard was doing a guest shot as one of Bob's patients, and get this, the character's name... Craig Plager. I think we've got Raul Plager nailed here.
2: (laughs) Johnny comes out with some crab puffs. There was a time, you know, when your aura was, you know, like brown, remember? Johnny offers Buffy a crab puff, but she's not interested. I mean, like, I can really sense, you know, that
1: you have become uh, more prosperous and, I think, slightly effeminate.
0: (laughs) Johnny having a brown aura. I think Johnny's still got a brown aura going on. Buffy pulls Johnny down with her onto the couch. Now, Johnny is there for dismoochin, but he is uh, being distracted by it while Buffy is inventorying the apartment. She is checking labels, looking for expensive things. And she sees the champagne on ice across the room. Is that
1: champagne? No, no, no. It's just a whiskey and wine and some very expensive cut grass crystal and some champagne. Uh, 1972. That is the year...
2: That I was into um, rainbow body sculpture. Now, I noticed that when she got the champagne and brought it over, she grabbed two uh, glasses and they click together. They don't clink.
0: They're pretty obviously plastic. They're plastic. They
2: click together. Yeah,
0: to be, (laughs) I think just for safety's sake on the set, they're using plastic, but they're pretty obviously plastic. Well,
2: there were some glass ones sitting right next to them.
0: I guess with all the gyrations they do on the couch, they didn't want (laughs) to run the risk of breaking them or something.
2: Rainbow body. The rainbow body in Buddhism is a body that is made of light, not flesh.
0: And this does not surprise me a bit about Buffy. Rainbow body traditions are part of Tibetan Buddhism. The thought is tangible matter is made up of five elements, space, air, fire, water, and
2: Certain Buddhist meditation practices are meant to alter the gravitational field of these five elements that constitute the body, transforming them into the five radiant lights of the color spectrum.
0: The transformation of the ordinary physical bodies into rainbow bodies is the result of years of specific Disciplined practices.
2: It is said that the bodies of these beings do not cast a shadow in either lamplight or sunlight. And at death, it is said that the physical body dramatically shrinks in size, approximately the size of your forearm, and exuding fragrances and perfumes rather than the odors of decomposition.
0: I don't know that Buffy got quite to that level of rainbow body, but that—that that is what a rainbow body is.
2: Well, Johnny is trying to open the bottle of champagne, but he's struggling. I seem to have
1: grown weaker as I became more feminine.
2: Buffy tells him to never mind that and drapes herself across his lap, reminding him that she gave up her career for him.
0: Johnny's looking a little confused at this. What career? She reminds him of their first meeting and that little club in Santa Monica where she was the singer. Peace. He pulls her up to him and kisses her just to shut her up.
2: Now, the song Feelings is by Morris Albert. It peaked in 1974 at number six on Billboard's Hot 100. Feelings. Nothing more than feeling.
1: Trying to forget my. Feelings of love.
0: Buffy tells Johnny that she could have made the big time. She could have made a record, but she gave it all up for him.
1: I gave you my love, my body. (laughs) I gave you my cosmic center. (laughs) I gave you my car. Her
2: cosmic center. And yeah,
0: and, and Johnny gave her his car. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Johnny asks Buffy, just what is she getting at? I want you to know that there's nothing personal in any
1: lawsuit.
0: Oops, this is why Buffy's come to Cincinnati. Johnny turned his head towards the camera and we just get a mouthing lawsuit. This
2: episode is ripped from the headlines. Buffy is alluding to Palimony. Palimony was a word made up by divorce lawyer Marvin Mitchelson in 1977. He was representing a woman named Michelle Triola who had been a live-in partner to actor Lee Marvin before Marvin was a star. Triola claimed Marvin promised to take care of her for the rest of her life.
0: When they broke up, she changed her last name legally to Marvin because this woman was a little bit of a nut job. They'd never been married, and she decided that she was going to get what she thought was hers from Lee's success.
2: While Triola lost her case, the judge said there was no written contract. Now, a marriage is a legal written contract. When you get married, there are specific laws governing how things get divided up in a divorce. If you're just living together... There is no contract.
0: Even though she lost, the case opened the floodgates for others who had once lived with now-famous people. Other notables who got sued for palimony include Peter Frampton. Liberace. Martina Navratilova.
2: Comedian. Bill Maher.
0: And it looks like former L.A. disc jockey John Caravella. Palimony is the reason that we now have cohabitation agreements for unmarried couples.
2: Buffy tells Johnny, I've got a lawyer and everything. Yes. Oh, in fact, I'm supposed to meet him in uh, 20 minutes at my hotel. We better go. Johnny's freaking out, and he can only repeat the words, sue me, sue me. Johnny, it is just business.
1: Just sue
2: me. Johnny, please, is done this way. Johnny. Johnny tells Buffy that this is not his apartment. (laughs)
0: Johnny's trying to talk her out of it. He starts talking about their early days. A couple of young love struck kids making beautiful music together. Remember those moonlight strolls together in the pounding
1: surf? Johnny
2: forget it. The deal is down. and take me to the hotel. Buffy's not going for it. She's wanting to go to the hotel, but Johnny tells her no. All right, fine. I'll take a taxi.
1: Fine. I hope the taxi explodes and scatters debris for miles and miles.
0: (laughs) Johnny's kind of throwing a fit.
2: Well, he's scared. Buffy blows Johnny a kiss and says, Ciao, Johnny, as she leaves the apartment.
1: Ciao, baby.
0: Through that whole talk bit, Johnny was kind of poking around on the piano, obviously having no idea how to play the piano. But after she leaves, he kind of brings it together and starts playing chopsticks.
2: Yes, he does know chopsticks. original name the celebrated chop waltz it is a simple widely known waltz for the piano it was meant to be played with the pinky fingers of each hand palms facing each other as if you are chopping with your hands
0: written in 1877 by british composer euphemia allen under the pseudonym
2: arthur de lully euphemia was only 16 when she composed the piece with arrangements for solo and duet
0: chopsticks continues to be popular in all sorts of media.
2: Venus is at the turntables as we come back to the studio and we hear After the Love is Gone by Earth, Wind and Fire. Bailey enters the studio asking Venus what time it is. Oh, 30. Oh, right.
0: Now, WKRP relived blogger and friend of the podcast, Roy Penny, wanted to make sure we mentioned that After the Love is Gone is David Foster's first hit as a producer and how much this sounds like Chicago... And does not sound like the same guys who would go on to do Boogie Wonderland.
2: was released in 1979, and it reached number two on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100.
0: It was written by David Foster, Jay Graydon, and Bill Champlin.
2: Foster offered the song to Hall & Oates, but they rejected it as they were not interested in singing songs written by anyone other than themselves. Um, one last thing before we leave the studio. This is the evening of the same day when we saw Bailey and Johnny in the studio. Are they rotating posters midday? The Randy Newman Born Again poster and the Robert Palmer Secrets poster are now both gone.
0: Now we see the Knack in the upper right corner of the studio promoting their album, Get the Knack. It was their debut and featured the number one smash, My Sharona. My Sharona would go on to be the biggest number one hit in all of 1979. I preferred the follow up single from the same album, Good Girls Don't. You preferred that over My Sharona? I got sick of My Sharona. They just played it way too much. It was just too much. And I really thought Good Girls Don't was more fun.
2: Credits begin running and Bailey closes the door and goes out into the hallway where she looks out the window. She turns right, walks down the hall and passes a huge Rod Stewart poster. Somebody has put big pink lips with teeth and a tongue sticking out, covering where his mouth should be. This is a promo poster for the album Footloose and Fancy Free. We first saw it in Andy's office during holdup.
0: Bailey opens that door that opens into the bullpen behind the DJ's desk. She had just been looking out that big window in the hallway out into space, and as she walks through that door, she's going into that space, which is filled by the bullpen. There is a lot wrong with the architecture of this building.
2: Because if it's the way we think, when she opens the door, she would be heading straight down 14 floors.
0: Yeah, there's nothing, no accommodation for the bullpen out that window.
2: Well, now she's in the bullpen, out in space. She picks up Johnny's coffee mug that's sitting on the DJ's desk, and she holds it. As the lights fade.
0: And this is the first time ever that we see scenes from next week's episode. Next week on WKRP in Cincinnati. They take a full 30 seconds to let us know what's going to be happening next week because it is a true two-parter. So, Donna... What's up for next week?
2: It's for Love or Money Part 2. We find out what Buffy is really up to and how they handle it.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP Cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. And thanks for joining us.
2: Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPcast at gmail.com.
0: And remember, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders.
1: Most almost forgot fellow
0: babies, <laughs> Booger! <laughs>